As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 164 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just have Adam for the intro today. Uh, Jill is in a very important meeting, and I am leaving our office early today because I'm going to a Kesha concert tonight, which I cannot tell you how excited I am. So long story short, for this intro, you've basically just got one book nerd and a microphone. These always get weird when we're by ourselves. Any hoozle. So today's episode is an interview I did with Anna Marie McLemore. She is a young adult author. Uh, She writes what could be considered magical realism. Um, I describe it in our chat as fairy tale adjacent, which she seemed to enjoy. She writes that her newest book is called Wild Beauty. It came out October 3rd, so it is available for you to go and borrow from your library, place on hold, purchase it if you feel so inclined, all that good stuff. Uh, she writes, the book is called Wild Beauty, and and beautiful is a really great way to describe how she writes. She's just, uh, she has a lot of uh, Latin, uh, Latin American influences from the stories that she uh, creates and tells. And in the conversation, we have a lot of fun discussing basically where these stories come from, the the stories that she heard growing up, and her love of flowers, and, and all sorts of wonderful stuff. So I, she's just a, a really great person. Um, I recorded this at Book Expo America in New York City earlier this year, so you'll hear a little bit of background noise. It's not bad. Um, we tried to find a quiet area, but if you've ever been to a book con, really any con, comic con, anything like that, uh, you will know it is hard to find a very quiet area, even if you have them, you know, staked out for yourself. But that's okay. It's very easy to hear us. I just wanted to give you a heads up as to why you might hear a little bit of background noise. So yeah, that is that. Um, I wanted to point out, if you are new to the podcast, um, last week we had uh, Big Library Read started with Overdrive, which is our global digital book club. And a lot of people tend to listen to our podcast because we always have the Big Library Read author on, which is Chelsea Sedoti. So if you listened to that one and then stuck around, maybe you subscribed uh, to the podcast and so you're relatively new, a couple of things I want to let you know. If you want to get a hold of myself or Jill or both of us, uh, you can find us all over the place. First off, we have an email address, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Um, so yeah, there's you know, anything you want to let us know, tell us what you're reading if you want a book recommendation, we are here for you. 
Also, if you're new and you are enjoying the podcast, something that I always like to tell people, if you wouldn't mind going into iTunes or whatever it is that you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star rating and maybe leave a nice review, it helps people find us a lot easier. Uh, We don't beg and plead for that too often, but it is great if you wouldn't mind taking the time out to do that. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm sitting here all by myself, so if I forgot anything, it's, you know, oh well. Uh, So, I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. It's a nice start to your week. I'm going to go get ready to listen to Kesha sing some fantastic music, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Anna Marie McLemore on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam again from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Anna Marie McLemore, who is a young adult author, perhaps best known for her works in magical realism. Her titles include The Weight of Feathers and When the Moon Was Ours, which was long listed for the National Book Award. Her third novel, Wild Beauty, will be released in October of this year. Anna Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for talking with me. Um, Can you get us started by giving us an introduction to Wild Beauty? Wild Beauty is the book that I call my... um, bisexual Latina girls and enchanted murderous gardens book. Amazing. It's about this uh, gener- this uh, family of women. You see th- three generations of them who have a gift for cultivating gardens, but who also have a curse running through their family in which if they love anyone too deeply, they disappear. Mm-hmm. And so I, this book is so unique and beautifully written. And with YA fantasy, I feel like it's hard to come up with an idea that someone else hasn't come up with yet. So I'm just curious where you were able to find the story that hasn't been told yet because it's it's kind of rare these days in YA. I think often we're, we're telling the same types of stories that are universal. That's part of what I love about fairy tales so mm-hmm. much is that they're, they're themes that just recur across different traditions. But the way this this sort of came about is that I, I love flowers, so my, my um, critique partners have joked that it was kind of only a matter of time before I wrote a book <laughs> that was all about flowers. And this book was actually inspired by um, Butchered Gardens in British Columbia. Okay. I've just loved the story of how these how these gardens came to be and it's it's just an amazing place where it feels like there there's just magic like yeah. hiding in different in different corners and so just off the top of that i'm curious do you have a favorite flower since we're since we're talking flowers a little oh bit oh my here? gosh um i know i put you on the spot right away <laughs> i know you start with the hard questions i know i'm sorry i, I really get to the to the heart of everything peonies lilacs mm-hmm. and roses um part of what i love about roses is that there's so many different kinds of them yeah and it's amazing. I don't. I don't even know. There are thousands, and, I, and they keep coming up with more, which is part of why you'll see ones like named after celebrities mm-hmm. or named after different cities. Which yeah. is, it's really neat. Um, so not just with Wild Beauty, but really with all your books that you kind of mentioned this. They they're very fairy tale adjacent, I guess you could say. Um, and to me, they remind me of stories that I would hear from like my grandparents, kind of growing up. So were these types of stories, like I guess in your family, did you get? like bedtime stories and things that were either passed down from generations. I'm guessing like, were there seeds of these stories that were kind of planted, keeping with the flower theme, (laughs) just realizing that? Um, Were there like seeds of these planted in like stories you heard growing up? Well, first of all, I love the term fairy tale adjacent. Thank you, you can feel free to use it. Um, there were definitely stories I heard growing up, and some of them were more romantic, some of them were more of what we think of as fairy tales, mm-hmm. and some of them were were 
more more harrowing, more terrifying, like La Llorona, which comes up in When the Moon Was Ours. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of that whole range. Like you have the you have the sweeter ones, you have the ones that you might consider more like bedtime stories, right. and you have the ones that are a little bit more frightening. But a lot of traditional fairy tales are pretty frightening. I was just gonna say I grew up reading. Um, like Hans Christian Andersen and, and the Grimm fairy tales and that's the thing when people when you talk to people who say oh, I love fairy tales and you can kind of get a vibe from them like you love Disney fairy tales I, you can just sort of tell but these feel very much like you were reading and listening to traditional fairy tales growing up right and I did want to be a Disney princess growing up I so think I every also person had... that's totally fair I, <laughs> I wanted to be a Disney princess growing up are you kidding me <laughs> I also I also had that side of me but but yeah like I love that you're I love that you're a fan of those traditional fairy yeah. tales because they they have edges to them mm -hmm. and the, the book I'm actually working on right now Blanca Roja, which will come out in 2018 mm -hmm. I'm sort of going back to some of the yeah. The parts of fairy tales that that we we think we know but we haven't really looked at for yeah. a while and that's something that's really interesting i i love talking about like real fairy tales and and books that kids read them when they're growing up i think people want to put kid gloves on kids you know they kind of want to wrap them in bubble wrap but i think it's good to have them listen to stories that may have a darker ending and you know maybe prepare them for the real world i used to read um growing up the scary stories to tell in the dark like those the original like the horrifyingly like creepy pictures and everything i read those growing up and my mom looks back she's like yeah, looking back i probably shouldn't have had you read those in like fourth and fifth grade but i think it turns out you know kind of helps us be more of a rounded person i think yeah my mother has said that about like some of the stuff that i told you or like let you watch or <laughs> let you read but i i think that's i think that's part of what's um what's wonderful is that about about fairy tales about all those kinds of stories is that is that uh, kids understand far more than we than than we think mm -hmm. and like if we remember if we remember being kids like yeah. the the breadth of what we could take in what we could understand the depth of mm -hmm. was i think it's i think it's far more than adults yeah. often realize absolutely i completely agree um, something else that's in there we talked about this a little bit you mentioned how you know you love flowers and and that's kind of where the story came from but nature as a whole is very prevalent in your book so is that something that's always been a part of your life is you know being one with the outdoors and being a very outdoorsy type of person the landscape of wherever you live it just it shapes you mm -hmm. in a way that sometimes you realize it more overtly sometimes you don't sometimes you don't even realize it until you leave it and yeah. go somewhere else and you're you're thinking oh this this is different or this is different the, the trees are different the light is different so how what's around us kind of kind of imprints on us mm -hmm. is is something that I think that I think I keep coming back to yeah. in my work so where you grew up was it lots of kind of like gardens and and rose you know rose bushes like rose gardens and, and types of things like that that were around you or these like because where I grew up there's a um, around Cleveland there's a thing called the Metro Parks so there's these gorgeous like thousands and thousands of acres of trails and hiking but they're not so much like wildflowers as they are um, there'd be like trails through kind of woods and things so when I think of nature like if I was going to write a story for me it would be more of like a kind of like an evergreen forest type of a situation where yours is very colorful and bright so are those just the types of things that were around you when you were younger well I'm from LA so the the range that you get both in terms of weather like if you've had a dry season or a wet season mm -hmm. what the what the the um, earth around you is going to look like yeah. and also under underneath it 
Los Angeles is mostly a desert. Mm -hmm. So this idea of what we make artificially yeah. versus what will what will grow naturally if we let it, it's just I think it's I think it's always sort of been with me, even if I didn't quite understand the dynamics of yeah. it, even if I didn't understand the ecology of oh, this is a desert. This is a mm -hmm. this is a lot <laughs> this is a lot more like mm -hmm. um, where my relatives from Jalisco were were from than it than it is like the the lawn like these <laughs> these are rather unnatural if you think about it. Sure. So how we make certain landscapes and how certain landscapes just emerge. I think that's something I grew up around. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you do such a wonderful job of conveying diversity, both in like, sexual orientations and and cultural backgrounds, and the way you do it is in such a positive light, which I think is really refreshing to see, regardless of people's backgrounds. You, it's conveyed in this wonderful way so when you were growing up I'm always curious to ask about this type of question did you find books that you felt represented you as a child or did it always kind of end up being like the white male protagonist type of a situation and just maybe, maybe what are your thoughts on like we need diverse movements type of a situation I didn't find a lot of the kind of books that I thought reflected my experience and that's you know it's it's great to read experiences that are outside your own but if you're not seeing yourself at all sure. that's that's a little bit that's a little bit of a problem when you approach bookshelves because it feels like I don't I don't belong here I don't exist on these bookshelves so it was really when when my parents when my teachers when my librarians like put these books in my hand that was when I started that was when I started becoming a reader so mm -hmm. I was a little slower to becoming a reader even though I always I always loved books I yeah. always loved stories it felt a little bit like do I do I belong here? Right. Can I can I be here? Which um, which I don't know. I don't know why it took me so long to come around to it because my my family loves books. Mm -hmm. I think I think just because the often um, the books were assigned in school. Yeah. It's it's a it's a lot of the same thing we'll see, and a lot of those are great books. But if we're yeah. not, you know, if if all students aren't seeing themselves somewhere in in the reading list, then yeah. So. Where do you think, how do you think about now? Do you think we're in a better place now when it comes to diverse books? I mean, I, I tend to believe, walking around, we're at Book Expo America right now, so walking around all the different booths, what I tend to see is these books are out there, the diverse books, I think that there's so many more out there now, and I think we could still do a better job of getting them to the forefront, but what are your thoughts on just how we're, how we're doing as maybe like a reading culture now? I think we're going in a better direction. I think even if we have a long way to go on inclusion in stories, I think I think we are things are getting better. And even if there is progress to be made, there there is progress that has happened. And the great thing is that I feel like most people in the book world know that there need to be more inclusive stories. And having that kind of knowledge and having that kind of discussion be more open mm -hmm. is huge. And having those the stories be able to get out there. I mean, I five years ago I wouldn't have thought that I, I could write the kind of stories. Like I never I never would have thought mm -hmm. that these kinds of stories could be. It's I think it comes down to like room on the bookshelves again. Like yeah. I didn't see myself mm -hmm. often on the bookshelves growing up and until um, until people who cared about me helped me find those stories. Mm -hmm. And I think I would not have thought that these kinds of stories could could be out there so I'm I'm really I'm really excited for for what's ahead and I know there's a lot of work to do but yeah. I think that um, that we have we're having conversations and we're having or we're, we're going in a better direction which yeah. I think is wonderful um, so something I want to talk about and I know you've talked about this kind of ad nauseum so I apologize but magical realism is something that I know a lot of people describe your books as magical realism and a I'm curious to know 
how you would describe your books if you would put them in that kind of genre and also if you could talk about magical realism a little bit because I think there's a lot of confusion sometimes when people hear that and are not exactly sure what they're getting into. Right, and I think it, it's all under the umbrella of sometimes it's just hard to know what to call books. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. <laughs> and magical realism I always think of as finding, finding the unexpected, finding the magical, finding the enchanted in the midst of oppression, in the, in the midst of the tragic, mm-hmm. in the midst of the disheartening, and it's, it's all about community. And That's part of what I love about magic, magical realism is that no one, in magical realism, no one owns the magic. Yeah. It's, um, or if anyone, if anyone does, it's temporary and it's going to be with unexpected consequences. Right. It just it flows through a community. It's very it's very water like. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't decide what what um what the enchanted what the magical is going to do. It's going to cause as many problems <laughs> as as it causes wonderful things. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful and it's terrifying and that's really the heart of mm-hmm. magical realism to me. And I know you asked another part of that question. Oh, I was just <laughs> curious if you would consider your books to be magical realism just because I know a lot I've seen I think I've seen you even say like people consider your books magical realism I'm just curious if that's how you would classify your books as well I know it's kind of strange to kind of try to classify your own book and put it I'm just curious what you it it is now because I I, enough people have said it to me that I I felt like I sort of had permission but when I thought of magical realism I thought of I thought of Allende I thought of Giaconda Belli I Mm -hmm. thought I thought of Laura Esquivel and I thought like I can't I can't call my work what the like I can't even approach them Mm -hmm. but I think enough enough people have given me permission to sort of like yeah. call call it that that I'm like okay maybe I'm <laughs> I'm sort of joining joining this tradition uh-huh. so were these the books when you started you, you talked about finding you know finding yourself in books perhaps a little bit later than other readers but were these types of books these magical realism type of the, were these the types of stories that you find yourself drawn to kind of immediately as a reader or did you start to gravitate to them over time those were some of the books that that people who cared about me gave me uh, mm-hmm. books, books and plays and poetry. Sure, um, that they gave me to to try to draw me into mm-hmm. the world of, of reading a little more than I was because I, I think they saw that interest there and they yeah. just saw that I was sort of reluctant. Mm-hmm. Um, so definite, definitely, definitely, um, like I mentioned, Laura Escobar um, was a big one. Uh, Lorca and Neruda, just their their work. Um, drew me in in a way that I kind of I kind of couldn't resist I didn't like that whatever resistance I had to mm-hmm. to being a reader I thought okay I want to be part of this I want to be part of the world of words yeah. um, and then from a, a YA kind of a community standpoint I I've been very fortunate to talk to a lot of YA authors and I something I've noticed with that genre as, opposed, as maybe a little bit more so than other genres is it, it feels like exactly that it feels like a community like the young adult both readers and authors feels like a community. So what are you most excited about right now in terms of like, YA literature that's out there? Well, at this very moment, I'm excited about how many people I'm getting to meet in person <laughs> that's a really good that, I've, that, I've, that I've known, um, that I've known on Twitter. It's, it's really wonderful uh-huh. to, get to, to get to see people in person. But in terms of what I'm, what I'm excited about overall, it's um, just the number, the number of stories we're having, the number of inclusive stories we're having so that there's, there's not just just one book mm-hmm. for every type of reader there yeah. are there are many and I think we're we're approaching a point where so much of what readers can ask for there are there's not just going to be one book mm-hmm. there are going to be many books yes. to, to direct them to and that's that's part of um, some of the people on Twitter that I that I love the most are yeah. the, the ones who they will, they will just have recommendations all the time and they'll just be like just ask they read, the ev- they read everything yeah. they'll say just tell me what tell me what you're looking for I, and I'll tell you a book <laughs> I actually do that all the time so one one the company I work at at Overdrive, 
we have so many librarians that I always have book recommendations yeah. like a, you know finger away but I also will go online if when a book a new book comes out I'll like I'll find all the tweets about it and if the people who are tweeting about it are like authors in that genre I'm like all right I'm in a safe space because they're really excited about it and they know this genre better than anyone so I I love doing that I steal from people like that all the time so it's a perfect idea I think um from a writing standpoint what is your writing process like are you a morning person are you a, a planner to have everything kind of planned out it's kind of maybe take us through your craft as one would say I love outlining it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite parts of the mm -hmm. process but the outline never stays the way it is like yeah. it's, it's like a map I draw and then I throw it out halfway mm -hmm. through the process <laughs> but I have to I have to do it anyway mm -hmm. I think it's just I think it's just part of it um, I in terms of in terms of how I work I don't write every day which mm -hmm. I don't know if that's if that's something I should say because I know a lot of people <laughs> say that you should no, write okay. every day but I I would rather do longer days typically mm -hmm. and do and do fewer of them yeah. and just just you know get into the space of mm -hmm. a story that's part of what I love about about talking with other writers yeah. is that everybody's different everybody everybody um, everybody needs to mm -hmm. needs to do um, a different process to get to where they are yeah I was actually laughing I was at a, a panel this morning and, and the authors were talking and somebody asked about the, their their craft and one person was like I have this very specific place in this office that I write at and it's it has this like beautiful and he's like they went into great detail about everything in this space and then the next person was like I was waiting for my kids at school when I was writing it on my phone like so it's just interesting to hear all the different ways it's like I have a story to tell I just need to get it out whether it's an hour at a time like you said spending long days it always fascinates me to hear the millions of different ways a story can go from someone's brain right onto the pages um, so we have what we call the nerd nine it's like nine they're never rapid fire questions they're they should be but i always get sidetracked <laughs> and i also never tell them ahead of time so they're really lighthearted. but we this kind of lets us find out a little bit more about you as a person so the first one is what's the last book you finished reading the kingmaker's daughter by philippa gregory I love historical fiction, and mm -hmm. I especially love historical fiction about women. Yes, that and that centers on on their relationships and how they make their way in the world. So when that's that's my most often requested book recommendation, I'll ask like my friends who read everything. Yeah. what historical fiction do I need to read? That's awesome. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? I love reading outside. We have we have um, some great parks where I live. I think often um, often writers don't get enough sunlight. So <laughs> it's good to it's good to get out there and actually and yeah. actually like um, like see the sun sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when I can, yeah. I'm getting out. Um, do you have anything that you would classify as a guilty pleasure? Like I tell everyone, mine is if you go on Instagram and look at my page, it's picture after picture of my dogs like far too many like more than you should ever share of your, of your dogs that's kind of like what I think of as it but do you have anything like that I love the great British baking show <laughs> that's a really good one and I can I can rewatch episodes like I'll have I'll have them on when I'm cooking to inspire me oh, yeah. even though obviously what I cook is way less ambitious <laughs> and you know reality shows will always play that like it's time to hurry up music so I find that really inspiring uh -huh. like it's time to finish the dish now it's amazing I actually do that with chopped a lot the same <laughs> like, thing yeah I'll be like and then I'll find myself looking in my pantry like all right quinoa black beans tacos like exactly. I just try to figure it out you myself get, you yeah. get Ted Allen's voice in your head yeah open your cupboard yeah okay. yelling at me yeah, exactly um do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate um, 
I, I really love Christmas. I love I love the, the traditions in my family. I love the the um, the tamales, the different mm-hmm. the different food that we make, the songs that we sing, and that's that's where I that's where I, I see most of my family. Yeah. Like we won't always see each other on on other holidays, but that's when we will see each other. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I am a cat person. I am very allergic to dogs, and oh, of course, okay. all the ones that I would want are like the fluffiest. Yeah. Most allergy aggravating <laughs> dog so sometimes my husband will see me like look at mm-hmm. look at a dog and he'll be like no you can't get that fluffy dog but I, I love cats mm-hmm. um, I absolutely love cats I will, I will be that girl the inter- on the internet who like <laughs> likes all my friends cat pictures that's amazing uh, are you a coffee person or a tea person yes please if, <laughs> that's good if that works for me um, what's your favorite food You just say tamales, which is me thinking about Latin American food now and Hispanic food, and it's all I can think of personally. Um, I really, I really like enchiladas, which mm-hmm. feels like a huge category because you can put no, that's a really put, good. You that's can a, put lots of things. I was say, that's in a really them. good answer because that's like someone yesterday said pizza. I'm like, that's fair because you can make exactly 9, you can ways. you can put so many things on pizza. Yeah. Um, the last one is if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? This this changes all the time for me, but I think at the moment um, I'm gonna go with I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm getting her name right, Hedy Lamar, the film star. Yeah, yeah. Because she, just the the idea that she's she sort of did it all. She was this movie star, and she also mm-hmm. was was a was like a, a physicist working on the the technology that preceded Bluetooth. And mm-hmm. just she she went after she went after everything yeah. that was that was just in her and every like all her talents and that's that's a wonderful I, answer yeah yeah i think that's i think that's what we would all hope to have the bravery to do yeah and then my last question for you is what do you hope readers take away from reading your books i hope they take away that that everyone deserves fairy tales mm-hmm. and every everyone deserves magic because that's you know that that is in all of our all of our traditions. That is in in all of our heritages. Even if the even if the stories that we see most often, even if the fairy tales we see most often don't include everybody, like we all have fairy tales in our traditions. So just the everyone everyone knowing, all readers knowing that that we all we all are worthy of magic and we all have fairy tales in us. That's perfect. And we thank you so much for joining us. Thank today. you so much for having me. Here with me. Yeah. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.